0: Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn
1: CE credits.
0: I still love working with older adults and there is such a need. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, I fell into something that was absolutely ideal. The other thing, which really advantaged me, is that, um, and this is a bit of luck and timing. Uh, at that time, in the early 80s, when I studied to become a geriatric mental health nurse, there weren't many nurses in the field. The field itself was new; it was developing. People were just humbling to the idea of what's this. What's dementia? What's Alzheimer's disease? Uh, why are all these people losing their minds and what can we do about it? And how's our long-term care system prepared to deal with it? And how are the families prepared to deal with it? So the timing element was crucial in that I was in on the groundwork essentially. And also the luck part of it was that, in, for example, institutes at um, the National Institute of Health were being told uh, directions from on high.
1: Hello, and welcome to Distinguished Careers in Nursing, an elite learning podcast series. I am your host, Leanna McGuire, and I am honored to have with us today Dr. Kitty Buckwalter, Dr. Kitty Buckwalter is Professor Emerita at University of Iowa College of Nursing and Professor of Research and Distinguished Nurse Scientist in Aging at Oklahoma University Health Science Center. Welcome, Dr. Buckwalter. Thanks so much. I'm just thrilled to have you here. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you a series of different questions related to uh, some of the studies that you've done for sure. But I'm curious, right from the start, what brought you to nursing? in general?
0: Well, I actually didn't start out in nursing. I started out as a music major. Really? Yes. And um, I found the long hours of practice in these little cubicles um, not suited to my nature of being around people and interacting with them. And nursing has always been a family tradition. Uh. For example, I am one of seven nurses on my father's side of the family who are graduates all of the University of Iowa College of Nursing, starting with my great aunt Geneva in 1925. Wow. And and so uh, the men work at the post office and the women (laughs) are nurses. And (laughs) so it seemed like a natural um, place to go
1: from music. That's really interesting. Yeah. I've, I've had the similar experience where people ask me why and I say it's genetic. That's that's the answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I always used to tell um, student, you know, they'd say, talk about your career. And I'd say, well, you, you need to know that while I have been successful, I was not initially. I actually failed occupied bed making. I ma- made the <laughs> bed with the person on top of it, which is much more difficult. And I also flunked, uh, I think it was sterile hand washing because I dropped the soap in the sink. So uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't particularly um, well suited to fundamentals of nursing. (laughs) And I did drop out once during the undergraduate career because I found the curriculum really rigid and didn't allow for some of the more liberal arts kind of courses that I was interested in. But I went back, and I'm glad I did. And then finally in my senior year, uh, when we had we were a medical model curriculum in the, in the 60s at that time, when uh, I was taught public health and psychiatric nursing, it was like, I've arrived. This is what I want to do.
1: Uh, and you have. Um, I'm really <laughs> impressed. I want to hear so much about your uh, your research when it comes to um, geropsychiatric nursing. This, this intrigues me to no end. I'm such an advocate for seniors and all of the things, dementia and everything that you've been working with. How did you get in that area? Well, once again, it was a kind of career by fiat. It was
0: largely a fluke. Okay. So I... Uh, I had just joined, I'd finished my uh, PhD in nursing and, I, and was one of the few doctorally prepared nurses uh, on our faculty in the uh, early, or late 70s, early uh, 80s. Uh, I was talking with the, the dean, Geraldine Felton at the time, and she suggested that it might be a really good idea if I would uh, get some sort of specialization, because I was all over the board. I loved everything. I was interested primarily in psychiatric nursing, but, you know, uh, how did it affect occupational health and postpartum depression? And she said, you need to focus and it would be lovely if you brought in some grant money. Now, this was a time in the very early 80s when that was really not a part of the expectation or picture for, uh, for many nurses in academia. Uh, but she made this suggestion. So I was at a lawn party uh, uh, at a colleague's house and I ran into a good friend named Jay Semmel, who was with our sponsored fro- programs, which is part of the university's kind of grants management um, office. And he said, how are things going? And I said, well, Jay, the dean has strongly suggested that I get a focus and I get a grant. And so, if something comes across your desk, send it to me, and I'll talk. look at it. So, uh, a few weeks later, in campus mail with a one of those smiley face stickers on it, from Jay comes a supply for a, a geriatric mental health academic award through the National Institutes of Mental Health. And so I. Took it down to the dean, and I said, uh, this looks interesting to me, but, you know, it could have been pediatric psychiatry Mm -hmm. as well as geriatric (laughs) at the time. But I thought, I'd like to give it a try. It sounds like a good opportunity. I meet the eligibility requirements, and it will also give me some exposure to learning how to write a grant. So I did it not really knowing what I was doing. We had a few senior people on our faculty but uh, who were very helpful, but not a lot. And the dean looked it over for me. And I set it off in October of oh, 1982, I believe. And I didn't hear anything and didn't hear anything, but I was so naive and we weren't schooled in uh, grant development and what to expect at the NIH. Uh, That I just assumed I hadn't gotten it and nobody had bothered to tell me but so I went to uh, Elizabeth Burns who's one of our senior faculty members who had helped me with the preparation of the grant and I said uh, You know, I I haven't heard anything. I assume I didn't get it and she said well Did you get a pink card? And I said it was a postcard at the time Um, I said yes uh, she said, well, there's a number on it. You call that number and find out what happened and tell them what your grant number is. So this would have been around a f- 5 p.m. Central Standard Time uh, on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> and so I was calling, obviously, uh, Bethesda, Maryland, the East Coast. So it was 6 or so, and a gentleman answered the phone. And I said in my very empowered professional voice well you don't know who I am but (laughs) I'm I'm Eddie Buckwalder from the University of Iowa and I wondered what happened to my grant application and he said well I'm Gene Cohen I'm director of uh, uh, this part of the National Institute of Mental Health which was essentially aging studies and geriatric mental health research and he said I'll never forget these words don't jingle the coins in your pocket but it goes to council next week and it looks very good. Your priority score, this is before perc- per- percentages is. So here I had no idea what council was. I didn't know the two-step process that federal grants went through. I had no idea what a priority score was because nobody had ever <laughs> told me. And I'd never talked to somebody who'd written a grant. So uh, after finding those things out, um I waited, and he called me back, and he said, again, your priority score is this and that, and you will be in our uh, inaugural class of geriatric mental health awardees. It's a K award, which is a career development award, and uh, there will be four nurses and eight geropsychiatrists, and you start in September. Now, this wow. was really joyous news, but there were a couple of hitches. First... <laughs> I was already teaching um, research methods to our master students in the summer program, and I had to find somebody who was willing to come in, step in, and teach what was not a very well-liked course, as <laughs> you've know, at the time, uh, in the summer. And my wonderful longtime friend and colleague, Meredith Moss, said, I'll do it for you, and she did. And then the other thing was that I was pregnant with my third child who was, whose due date was september oh good so i actually missed the first meeting of the geriatric mental health awardees uh because i was in the delivery room and i <laughs> kept kept thinking this would just feed into every worst fear the administrators have of of funding a woman
1: right right because right things
0: were different than in 1982 yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, but it, interesting. It out and it was
1: an absolutely career-changing experience. Are you a fate believer or are you a happenstance believer? Do you think all of that I happened love, for a
0: reason? I here's what I believe. I believe that if you get a solid foundation, a good ed- education, and you like what you're doing, and you remain open to opportunities then good things can happen. So you're a little bit the captain of your own ship, but it's, yes. the course isn't, plo- isn't plotted out for you. Things right. happen. You have to be aware. You have to understand yourself, your strengths, and your weaknesses, um, and then say, I'm I'm going to try it. You can't be risk-averse. No. And, and so that's the way my entire career has been. It has not been thoughtfully planned or plotted, Um as people do today which is much better you know then I'm gonna get this grant and then I'm gonna go here and there but at that point in time um, I there I didn't have a career path right but I was open to opportunities and this turned out to be the most marvelous opportunity not only educationalized wise learning about the field of geriatric mental health and I did go back to school for a whole year and, and beef up my geriatrics course. I was a psych nurse, so I had the mental health portion of it. Right. I didn't have any uh, geriatrics. So I, I, uh, I did a year's worth of coursework in geriatrics all the way from biology courses of uh, on the aging cell to social work courses about the federal agencies and what they provide services for. So wow. it was a wonderful year. And then I spent two years um, starting... Pilot studies that would grow into funded grants in various locales uh, around Iowa.
1: That's really amazing. I love what you said about being open to opportunity, and I think that's also important for people who have plotted out their careers, because yes. you can get married to a particular path and miss a whole lot of opportunity if you're not open to things coming yeah. your way. So I think there's something between being wildly unfocused
0: and yes. just loving at everything. Yes. And having a, a pretty good idea of what your interests and abilities are, but not being firmly committed to one institution or one path uh, that allows you to um, make the best of both worlds. And I was Excellent. lucky enough, and I do there was an element of luck, um, and I worked hard uh, yes. to, to be in, kind of in that middle range.
1: So, did you did you develop a passion for geriatric studies? Absolutely. Oh, it's so amazing. amazing. Although
0: it didn't start out intentionally, um, it was a perfect fit, and geropsych was a perfect fit. I could not have designed something I love better. To this day, it's been a wonderful career, and I uh, and I'm still waiting around in it. I'm still learning things. I still love working with older adults. Oh, yeah. And there is such a need. and There really is. So it was, uh, you know, I fell into something that was absolutely ideal. The other thing which really advantaged me is that, um, and this is a bit of luck and timing. Uh, At that time in the early 80s when I studied to become a Gerald geriatric mental health nurse there weren't many nurses in the field the field itself was new it was developing people were just tumbling to the idea of what's this what's dementia what's alzheimer's disease uh why are all these people losing their minds and what can we do about it and how's our long-term care system prepared to deal with it and how are the families prepared to deal with it so the timing element was crucial in that i was in on the groundwork essentially And also the luck part of it was that, for example, institutes at um, the National Institute of Health were being told uh, directions from on high, you need to diversify your portfolios. And indeed, most of them did not have many nurses uh, they had funded grants for or women. Right. And so here I was, um, essentially had a, postdoc under my belt. Um, and uh, so I think I was advantaged. I, I'm not trying to diminish in any way the quality or rigor of the scholarship of the grants I presented, but um, it was a favorable environment for uh, a young female psychiatric nurse at the time. And I got in on so many things because you check boxes. I checked boxes all my life. Oh, we don't have a woman on this committee. Oh my goodness,, uh, we don't have a nurse who's on this policy board. And again, being open to opportunities, I said, absolutely, I'll be at the table. and I will bring nursing's voice to the table. Uh, and I met wonderful people, a lot of people who were role models and supportive, but I showed up too. So
1: right. Well, that's huge. That's the piece. I think sometimes, In the process of the course of our careers, we get little whispers or uh, things that draw attention or people present opportunities. But if you don't listen and don't take that jump, there's so much potentially to be lost there, for sure. I agree. And you've made huge contributions throughout this process of uh, working in geriatrics. Can you talk just briefly about the progressively lowered stress threshold conceptual model? (laughs) Yes, like I really can, that's the kind of thing I you're briefly but i'm we just curious we call
0: it the lst model for that's uh, better. obvious <laughs> reasons <laughs> but uh, first i need to honor uh, jerry hall yes uh, who is the uh, initiator of that model based on her clinical experiences she was um, my master's student at iowa and later became my doctoral student and her dissertation started off research in this area wow um so I was fortunate enough uh, to learn from her because one of the great things about being in academia is you can learn as much or more from their students, from your students as they learn from you. And Jerry was certainly one of those uh, people, an, a master educator, a master clinician. And uh, and I was able then to help her at that time uh, to, to focus her wonderful ideas and concepts into a model for care uh, and then to help her get that disseminated. So we published the first version of the PLST model in Archives of Psychiatric Nursing in 1987. Uh, And then uh, we continued to do research together for many, many years thereafter and brought other people in as well. So that's how that started. It is a model for care. It, uh, among many others, but it was one of the very first theoretical underpinnings for dementia care. Uh, And that helped ground research in the area because of that, uh, the conceptual framework that it offered. And there was a logical flow then for interventions and nurse actions given the framework that uh, Jerry developed. And so, it was really exciting, and it's still used today. Um, I've off, I've been impressed by the number of uh, scholars, nurse scholars, uh, internationally, Hong Kong, Australia. Um, wow! I had a postdoc from Turkey who came and studied with me. So, <clears throat> really, a, a a nice foray into having some theoretical underpinnings for the research. You do, and for your practice, which is really then it becomes evidence based practice, which is right, right, very timely now.
1: Yes, absolutely. I, you know, I'm so uh, it. It's such a huge contribution, and it's all so important because you know, God willing, we'll all be geriatric someday. So keep, that, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, the more research on how to look after geriatrics the better for everyone but, concerned. But I have the I think was that
0: the PSC model came out of clinical observations and clinical work and uh and it made sense it made sense to a lot of people because of that grounding in uh clinical observations and listening to practitioners
1: observing
0: uh patients and residents and their behaviors and what could be triggering that and what can we do about it that sort of thing
1: that's one accomplishment. You've had a long list of accomplishments throughout your career, um, including being receiving the Living Legend honor. Uh, that's just one. Uh, but which would you say you're most proud of and why, would you think, throughout your career? Personal, um, professional uh,
0: accomplishments? Well, professionally, um, I, I'm, I have a hard time narrowing myself. Um, Therefore, really. <laughs> three things when I look back on my career that were the most professionally satisfying. Uh, One of those was uh, a project out of the Abbey Center for Community Mental Health uh, in Lynn County, Iowa, called the Mental Health of the Rural Elderly Outreach Program.
1: Wow! wow, yes.
0: So uh, rural health was, uh, again, not a well-developed field. There was not policy considerations that hey, we have this whole audience of people who are growing older with uh, who complex mental health and physical health needs, but there's no service delivery system. There's no uh, continuum of services in the rural area. So how can we uh, find out, identify them, assess them, and provide services for them? So we came up with an interdisciplinary model of care called the Mental Health of the Rural Elderly Outreach Program, which we never use the full title when we were talking to older adults because just the word mental health was stigmatizing enough that they wouldn't want to talk to us. So we just called it the rural outreach program. And we had a team of, um, geriatric social workers, uh, a geriatric nurse practitioner who could do all the physical assessments, uh, in the home. And I tell you, she was invaluable because some of these older adults had never been in a hospital or clinic in their lives. Oh, they birthed yeah. their babies on the wow. kitchen table. Um, you know, uh, they didn't drive.
1: Um, right. They were
0: down the country lane and snowed in all winter. So um, she was able to do physical assessments. We discovered so many people who had filled uh, their phone uh, mental status exam exam y- you know, they'd be asked a question like "Who's the president of the United States?" and they'd give some inappropriate answer, and they'd be labeled ah. as, as mentally ill or cognitively impaired or so forth. And it was earwax oh. that was the culprit. Nobody had cleaned out their ears. So the first wow. thing I first <laughs> thing I bought <laughs> with my grant money um, uh, was a serum and spoon, right? Yeah. And, by golly, their uh, mental status scores improved once they could hear what the questions were. Wow. So, uh, uh, so we had uh, a geropsychiatric nurse uh, as the project director, and then I, I couldn't afford to have a geropsychiatrist on the grant, but I hired um, a, a senior resident uh, for a certain number of hours a week uh, to to back up the team if there were. Uh, questions. Now, the geriatric nurse practitioner had prescriptive privileges, but she needed backup. And so we had a a general psychiatrist and and, um, a wide range of consultants with access to the university, even though the mental health clinic was in a different town, we could access dental services. Be surprised at the number of people who weren't eating and were uh, low on Say B12 because their teeth hurt, yeah. and that would manifest itself in terms of cognitive symptoms and so forth. So, wow. that was we reached a population who were extremely vulnerable and nobody was taking care of them at the time. Nobody even knew they were there. Wow. And so, that was satisfying for that reason. Huge. And because we all felt we had a real team and we all felt like we were making a difference in their lives. That's great. So that was the first one that comes to mind. The other was the last formal research project I conducted with my long-term colleague, Sandy Bergner, from the University of Illinois. And it was particularly satisfying because it was on stigma and dementia. And And it was rewarding because stigma had been an early interest of mine. In fact, my master's thesis was on the uh, stigma associated with the psychosocial effects of psoriasis as a master oh. student. And here I was at the very end of my career studying stigma, but in my new population, which was right. older adults. Right. So it was like professionally I'd come full circle yeah. and the opportunity to uh, do the research with a valued colleague was again, just very special. Yeah. So that meant a lot. Yeah. And then I, um, the other one I'll mention, and I apologize if I'm going on too long, no, but I've, just, I've had so, a lot of really
1: special yes.
0: I guess, um, is something I'm doing currently. So um, I have the privilege of consulting uh, at the University of Iowa College of Nursing, uh, and I, I'm i out of the Office of Nursing Research which means a lot of my work is um, focused on helping people get grants and write manuscripts and that sort of thing. But I'm also privileged to work with a population uh, of uh, faculty and students who are clinical track faculty. So they're not PhD prepared necessarily. They have a DMP or a doctor of nursing practice, and they are working with the most vulnerable populations—the homeless, who also have substance use disorders, are mentally ill and chronically physically ill. Uh, immigrants, uh, migrant workers who are undocumented, so won't come in and get a COVID shot because they're afraid they'll be returned to South America or something. So, why th- this opportunity at my <laughs> late age and where at the? Dippy dippy end of my career is so rewarding is because it it brings me back to what brought me into nursing in the first place. And that's uh, to be able to improve the quality of life and quality of care for our most vulnerable populations. And
1: Fantastic. so these are
0: not necessarily elderly people, but right. the psych pieces there and the high need, high cost... Um, the people that nobody but nurses really want to take care of. Yeah. And, and can do so it true. best. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's, those are the th- three highlights among many, many others, uh, professionally. Personally, wow. of course, it's, it's family. Sure. Um, I have been very, uh, blessed, um, uh, with my parents, uh, who helped watch the kids so I could go to school. I had two children during my doctoral program, and it was in Chicago. There there wasn't a PhD program in Iowa City at the time I started, and that was the nearest one. So for four years, I commuted by Greyhound bus to Chicago from Iowa City. I'd leave at 2 a.m. on Sunday and then come back at 2 a.m. on Friday. Um, and my husband, for putting up with that, we were just newly uh, married at the t- when I started the Four-year journey, and he was not only forgiving but encouraging and uh, so supportive, and um, and of course the kids and and now grandkids uh, who've turned out to be you know well-educated, contributing and, uh, adults, but most importantly, they're all compassionate human beings, and they still like each other and want to do things not only with their siblings, but uh, with us, their parents. So yes. I, I consider that a personal triumph.
1: It is, for sure. And, you know, the description you just gave of them um, sounds a lot like you. I'm sure you have a lot of influence in the education <laughs> no. and the compassion and all those great things. I did not
0: get any nurses out of the three, but they oh, all in the healthcare field.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Any words of advice for young nurses starting out in their career? Oh my! Probably uh, be kind. That's That's,
0: get get as much education and and clinical experiences as you can. Um, Keep yourself open to opportunities. Huge. Find yourself a coach or a mentor or somebody who's been in. The position longer than you who's willing to work with you and bring you along because we all need that and never forget the people who helped you get to where you will someday be yeah um i think those are the main things that i would say savor the experiences that you have there's going to be rough times and uh not always the outcomes that you uh anticipate or want but they can be learning experiences too i would say um don't be afraid to ask for help or ask for additional resources if you need those to do your job well and um you know own what you do own your behavior own your practice uh and your mistakes so uh I will tell you that I made plenty of them. Uh, do I have time to just tell you a couple? <laughs> Go for uh, it. Um, because I think it's important for people just beginning to hear from people who have been successful in their nursing career that it wasn't always uh, a bed of roses. So I was. Um, My first job out of uh, college was as a Navy nurse during the Vietnam War. Wow. And I was stationed in Guam. And we got AeroVax coming every day. Anybody who had lived past the front lines but was too sick or injured to make it back to the United States, we got them. Any time of the day or night, and you could be called in. We also had typhoons regularly. So if you were within 48 hours of the storm, you you lived in the hospital until it was over. and All the pregnant women on the island came in and you took care of them. Um, so it was, uh, the hospital had uh, 112 beds and our census was 223. The nurses' barracks had been um, converted to, we call them dirty orthopedic, but they were infected orthopedic cases. Um, so it was a chaotic environment. You work wherever it was busy, labor and delivery. That's where you work. You need—they needed somebody to scrub in the OR. You scrubbed, so it was absolutely the best kind of internship, right? Possible. Yeah. And I had a sense of clinical mastery uh, coming off the three years uh, of active duty uh, that I've never had since, and I, and I that will play out later. But anyway, I came back here, entered. Uh, a master's program in psych mental health nursing and got a job um at the hospital and i was assigned like five people and where i've been used to taking care of whole <laughs> wards of that first of all, i say, i really didn't know what to do with myself it was just sure. such a a dramatic transition in roles and from my very first uh job in nursing which was this is what nursing was to me. We also had no telephones on the island. Uh, so if, um, well, there were a few, but I mean, not not where people lived. You had to drive to the Ilton Hotel and then the doctors would call in and give you an order. Wow. So we had standing orders up the wazoo. It was extraordinarily autonomous nursing practice just because of the context, the, the war. Sure, uh, in Vietnam at its peak uh, in the early '70s, and uh, so I came back, and it, within two days, I was called before a medical tribunal for practicing nursing, practicing medicine without a license. Now this is before uh-huh. there were like nurse practitioner programs. We're talking the early '70s, and I had somebody was constipated, so I gave him milk of magnesia. Wow. which you could buy at you know, yeah. C V S pharmacy over the counter, but and, and then somebody spiked a temp and I ordered blood glasses on him because that was my practice experience. And if I had called the doctor for a milk of magnesia or, and they had to drive to the old motel, I mean <laughs> I would have been <laughs> uh, in deep trouble. Yeah so I got my hand slapped and I was assigned a senior nurse to teach me how to behave properly as a nurse. Uh, so had, that was um, one of the winning experiences. But how even when things may not seem to be useful at the time your experiences, especially during uh, COVID uh, they can be later on. And how my Navy nurse experience helped me in my academic career is that I had a position as an associate director of nursing research in a clinical setting. And I would be talking about, oh, the value of doing research and evidence-based practice and this and that. And inevitably, at least one nurse in the audience would say, yeah, but you don't have any idea how busy we are here (laughs) at the XYZ hospital. And I'd say... (laughs) Well, let me tell you about busy, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I would recount, uh, you know, and then i back with than really people coming in, uh, being the nurse at the bedside when uh, somebody, an 18 year old, woke up and then had a bilateral AK amputation because they yeah. couldn't salvage and live. So it gave me street cred. That's it. Exactly, um, yeah. and I, you know, I never had imagined at the time that it would uh, serve a useful function when I was in the research realm, but it it right. did, absolutely. Street and, the, and the, big time. Know, we just need better ways. We need to learn better ways to do things. Yes, we're on
1: the same side. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What a great story. That's, I mean, what an experience you've had. Such an amazing career. I'm so grateful that you talked to us today, really, genuinely. Well, thank you. Really great, great conversation. So I appreciate it. Um, I just want to say, again, thank you for your contributions in a big way. And uh, I could just, you know, we could just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll just call you someday just to chat. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) Okay. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Distinguished Careers in Nursing with the wonderful Dr. Kitty Buck Walter. Uh, EliteLearning.com has a variety of courses that you can take to help expand your career and your learning. Uh, we encourage you to explore all of that. And thank you so much for listening. This is Leanna McGuire for Elite Learning by Calibri Healthcare.